Uh, we're continuing in our B1 campaign. We're talking about our B1 sermon series. Oneness is hard sometimes. Unity is hard sometimes. Heard a, a story about a young rabbi who was uh, starting out in his congregation. And during the Friday service, half the con- this is what would happen every Friday. They have their service, of course, the synagogue, Friday night service. And every Friday night, here's what would happen. Half the congregation during the prayer time would stand, and half the congregation would stay seated. And this really divided the church uh, because they would actually get vocal about it. Because half of them would say, no, we're supposed to be standing during the prayers. And the other half would say, no, the tradition is we've always sat during the prayer. So this young rabbi was really getting frustrated, not knowing what to do. They didn't train him for this. So he did uh, the one thing, and as a last resort, he thought, I'm going to go to the source. The founding rabbi of the synagogue was still alive. He was 99 years old, living in a nursing home. And he said, I'm going to go and ask him, you know, what, what is it? And so he goes to the nursing home and, and talks to him, and he says, you know, tell me, he pleaded, you know, was the tradition that we would stand during the prayers? And the old rabbi said, no. And he says, ah, good, finally, then the tradition is that we would sit during the prayers. And he said, no. And he said, well, what's going on? Because we have chaos in in the congregation. Half the people stand and shout, and half the people sit and scream. And the old rabbi said, ah, that's the tradition. (laughs) Unity is hard. Sometimes oneness is hard. You have to work at it. You have to work at it at times. And it's true uh, in life, it's true in the church. And last week we talked about the fact that Jesus, when he had one last prayer to pray for his church, when he had one last prayer to pray before going to the cross, what would that last prayer be? His last prayer that he prayed was that his followers, not just those disciples that were with him there, but those that would believe through them, and that's us, that they would be one. That's his prayer. His prayer was that there would be unity. And so last Sunday morning, we talked about the fact that what unity means for us, Jesus' prayer, was uh, that we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. And so we said that means one in identity. Our identity comes from God the Father, just like Jesus said, uh, you know, my identity comes from the Father. Our identity is that we identify with one Father and one in action. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And so that we as his followers will be one in action and one in identity. What we didn't really talk about last week, but is a reality for all of us, is that we live in a world that is not filled with followers of Jesus Christ that are one in in identity and one in action. That you and I live in a world of people who believe and think and identify differently. And so what is our responsibility in that world. Do we, should we as Christians interact with the world? And if so, how much? Do we become like everyone else and yet maintain our private belief? Or do we seclude ourselves from the evil, bad world? So here we are as one, and yet how do we interact with this world around us that might be very different to us? Do we do things like this? 
check out this video. Do you love Uber but always worried about the topics your driver may bring up? Enjoy the rides but not that crazy about the music selection? Introducing Uber Christian, where custom dash cameras carefully monitor drivers to make sure they'll never swear, and radio filters ensure that K-Love is streaming at all times. With Uber Christian, you can now enjoy like-minded conversations with drivers who also prefer Fox News over CNN. And with complimentary water and breath mints, we'll make sure you travel feeling refreshed and uplifted. And your safety is always guaranteed as each ride includes prayer for traveling mercies and a hedge of protection. Believe in predestination? No seat belt required. At Uber Christian, our custom maps will even prompt detours to avoid potentially tempting situations like bars, nightclubs, and women jogging in yoga pants. Upon arrival, each driver will send you off with a side hug of encouragement. Then rate your driver based on fruits of the spirit. Finally, for the believer who doesn't want to be in the world or of it, Uber Christian. Love your ride? You can even tip your driver with an inspirational Bible verse. So live your best life now with Uber Christian. Also available, Uber Catholic. And coming soon to select markets, Uber Mormon. <laughs> How are we to interact as Christians with the world around us? We, um, I'll tell you, if you haven't, I don't know how often you use Uber, but when we were down in D.C. a few weeks ago, we Ubered here and there because that place is spread out way more than I thought it was. I thought, we'll walk everywhere. Yeah, forget that. Um, we were Ubering everywhere. But I did get in the car wondering, you know, with my kids, okay, what radio station is going to be on? What's going to be playing? You know, because you're walking in someone else's car. So how do we interact with this world around us as Christians? How are we as one supposed to live in the midst of a world with many people who do not share our identity uh, in Christ or committed to the same actions? That's the question we want to consider this morning. And we want to look again at John chapter 17. If you have your Bible, uh, open up to John chapter 17 or click over there. Or if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one not far from you in the, in the rack of a chair in front of you or right under there. And John chapter 17, um, uh, sort of towards the, towards the back of the Bible there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John uh, is there. John chapter 17, and Jesus is praying, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 19 this morning. And Jesus has in this prayer words for how his followers should relate to the world around them, and his prayer for us. And this is what he says. He prays to his Father. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. In these verses, as Jesus prays for his followers, there's a contrast between a couple of words in here. And the couple of words are, one of them is the word. One of them is the word. 
And if you've read the Gospel of John, you realize that word, and in the Greek it's the word logos, is important for John right from the beginning of his book. In fact, right from the beginning of John's Gospel, he starts it out with these words, in the beginning was the word. And that word is a capital W word because it's referring to Jesus himself. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Starts right out at the, at the beginning of his story, an account of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. He starts it out with the words that in the beginning was the word. He's definitely echoing the words of Genesis. It starts out, in the beginning God created. John starts out, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's saying right from the beginning of his, Jesus has always existed from all eternity. He didn't just come onto the scene in Bethlehem. Uh, he has always existed from time and eternity. He is the Word, He was with God, and He was God. He's divine. And so this Word is important. And there's a contrast that Jesus has in His prayer between the Word and the world. And the Greek word for world here is cosmos. And He says, Jesus is saying, between the Word and the world, there is a world that we live in, and that Jesus says, I'm not praying that you take them out of it, in fact, Jesus says, I have sent them into it. And he's saying, I want you to be with them in the world. There is this contrast that God brings up, that Jesus brings up in his prayer, between the word and the world. The tension between the word of God and the world that we live in. And in addition, we have this tension of being in the world, but not of the world. And perhaps you've heard this expression that Christians are called to be in the world and not of the world. And this is the passage of Scripture that it comes from. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be in the world and not of the world? Because that's what Jesus prays for his followers. He says, I pray that they're one, but I also pray that they would not be of this world, but that they are to live in this world. In fact, he says, I sent them into the world. So I want us to unpack that a little bit this morning because it's an important aspect of how we as Christians are to relate to the world around us. And here's the way I want to do that. Uh, if you have your Connect card there, on the back of that Connect card, in the sermon notes portion today, you have four, uh, you have a square with four squares in it. You kind of have a quadrant there. And this is what we're going to use for your sermon notes today. If you've got a pen, uh, this is how you're going to take notes. If you don't have a pen, maybe there's one in the chair around you or someone will let you borrow one. But here's how we're going to do the sermon notes this morning. We're going to work in these four quadrants, and we're going to unpack this idea that Jesus says, my followers are to be in the world, but not of the world. And so we're going to work on kind of an XY axis in these quadrants. You guys are familiar with this. You understand this. So the, uh, the vertical axis is assimilation, or this is the of the world part. So the top is high in assimilation, and the bottom two boxes are low in assimilation. So the top two boxes are of the world, and the bottom two boxes are not of the world. And then on the engagement axis, uh, from left to right, so the left boxes are low in engagement, and the right boxes are high in engagement. So you can kind of put arrows there. And so we're kind of going to use these quadrants as we go through the message today to kind of give us an outline for our talk and see what Jesus means to be... It in the world and not of them because Jesus, I think it really breaks down to four different options, four different ways to live and three of them, Jesus has given us a warning against. 
don't live this way. And one of them, Jesus is very clearly saying, this is the way that I am praying that my followers would live. For each of these quadrants, I'm going to give you a word to kind of describe it, and then a question that if you find yourself leaning towards this quadrant that you should be asking yourself. So the first quadrant, the first quadrant is this, and that is the high in assimilation but low in engagement, that top left box, and we're going to call that enamored. We're going to call that the enamored box. Someone who's high in assimilation, they're really of the world, of the world's mindset, but they're low in engagement with the world. They're of the world, but not in the world. And you say, well, how is that even possible? How could someone be of the world and not in the world? I actually think, not only is it possible, I actually think it happens quite a bit. And I think it happens quite a bit in the church that we as followers of Christ can sometimes be of the world and even though we're not in the world. If I had to think of a biblical example of this, I think the example that comes to mind is the prodigal son. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, here's this uh, son living at home with his dad and he's being raised on, on the farm and he's being brought up and his dad's caring for him and his dad has all these resources. He seems like a wealthy man. But the son who's grown up in this environment one day says, Dad, I want everything coming to me now. In fact, what he's saying in a sense, not in a sense, what he's really saying is, Dad, as if you were dead... I want my inheritance now, and I want to go live my life the way I want to live it. Here's a young man who was not in the world. He was living on his dad's farm, but his mindset was of the world. His mindset was, I don't want any of what you've offered me. I want to go and live the way that everyone else around me is living. Many Christians today will look every place else for answers except God's Word. They're in the church, but they're not in the Word. They are more interested in being like the world. Christians who talk about the things of God, but never live them or put them into practice. Uh, one uh, evangelist from the late 19th century, Wilbur Chapman, put it this way. He said, it's not the ship in the water, but the water in the ship that sinks it. It's not the ship in the water but the water in the ship that sinks it. And like Christians, it's not the Christian in the world, it's when the world gets in the Christian that it becomes a problem. It's not the fact that you're in the world, because Jesus says, not only are you in the world, I have sent you into the world. But when the world gets into the Christian is where it really becomes a problem. We get enamored with the world outside of us, even though we may be sitting in the church, even though we may be in the outward showing up in the right places, doing the right things, but we're enamored with the world around us. And so sometimes this is the life that we live. And the question, if this is you, if you feel like, hey, I feel like maybe this is a little bit of me, uh, the question I think you need to ask yourself is, is the grass really greener? You know, is the grass really greener? Maybe you were brought up in the church. Maybe you're a young person in the church and you're just waiting. I can't wait till I'm old enough 
and I'm done with this church thing. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to, I'm going to, maybe, maybe that's what you feel like. And my question to you would be, think through, is the grass really greener? Think through all the truths that you have been taught. Think through all that you have been given. Think through the truth that, you, you know, around you, the creation uh, around you and all the, all that God has given you. Is the grass really greener? Are there really better answers to life's questions on the other side? Because we can get enamored with what we see out there. And our mindset might be of the world, even though we're sitting in the church. Jesus says, Jesus' prayer is not that we would be uh, of the world and not in it. Even you, though you are not in the world, the world has a way of getting into you. And Jesus warns against that. That's not the way he's called us to live. There's another, there's another way uh, that we need to be uh, uh, aware of, and that is high assimilation and high engagement. And we're going to call this absorbed. Absorbed. You're high on assimilation, and you're high in the engagement. This is the person who is of the world and is in the world. Absorbed. Of the world and in the world person living in a world uninterested, we are living in a world uninterested in holiness, and we too may be tempted to fudge the standards. This is the person, other than the fact that you call yourself a Christian, there's no difference between your life and those in the world. This is what happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament time and time again. They wanted to be like and to be liked by everyone around them. Time and time again, their idea was they want to be like and they wanted to be liked everyone around them so they would become absorbed by the cultures around them. They would become looking and acting just like the world around them. It's been said in a marriage that if you both agree on everything, then one of you is not necessary. This could be true, I think, in what Jesus is saying here too. If you agree in everything with everyone around you, then what's the point? You're not bringing anything different to the table. You've lost your distinction. Jesus is saying, you're called to be distinct in, not indistinct. You're called to be distinct in the world, not indistinct. Jesus at one point said, to, calling his followers in Matthew chapter 5, he said that they, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I think what Jesus is saying here, this is the absorbed person. This is, he's saying, as, as my followers, I want you to have a distinction about you. I want you to have a distinction. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, what's the point? No point in putting it in the meat. No point in adding it to the dish. It doesn't add anything. It doesn't change anything. You have lost your distinction. A church that merely affirms every choice a person makes has effectively allowed the person to be elevated to the place of God. And I no longer am of any use to the person or to God. If every time you come to me with an idea or a thought or a choice, I just serve as an echo chamber to you and say, hey, that sounds good. What good am I to you? What help am I to you in your situation? 
What flavor do I add to your life? If the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? And the question that if you find yourself in this quadrant, I think the question you need to ask is this, what is my legacy? What is my legacy? What am I going to leave behind? What do I want people to remember me by? There's an old expression that says sometimes Christians are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. I think the absorbed box would be Christians that are so earthly minded they're no heavenly good. That you and I can get so focused and become so assimilated and absorbed into the world around us that we are no longer serving or any good to the kingdom agenda. We said last week that Christians are supposed to be one in action. And what's the main action Jesus said he came for? I came to seek and to save the lost. If I'm so assimilated into the culture, if I'm so of it, that I'm so earthly minded that I sometimes become no heavenly good to the world around me. We have to, we are called to be different and distinct. Oz Guinness in uh, his book, The Impossible People, Oz is a writer and commentator on contemporary culture and Christianity. Wrote a book called The Impossible People, Christian Courage and the Struggle for the Soul of Civilization. I'd recommend it to you. I'm reading it, and uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great commentary on our current culture. And he wrote uh, this, and I think it goes along with this, uh, this quadrant. He said, liberal revisionists, or liberal theology in the church, are friends of every faith except their own. In the process, whole churches and entire denominations have effectively chased a mirage and committed spiritual and institutional suicide and rendered themselves as irrelevant as they are unfaithful. Strong words, but I think they characterize this absorbed box. Totally in, totally assimilated of, uh, that times we become friends of every faith except our own. It makes no sense for a person who cannot swim to jump off the platform to help someone who's drowning. In this case, to be completely identify with the other person, to be completely of his situation just means certain death for two people. Could it be that some people would rather die with others than be distinct in order to save others? I think sometimes we might rather, we want to be so of someone else's situation that we lose the distinction that God has called us to have in order to be helpful to them to get out of their situation. Absorbed. Third box. There's a third box that I want to talk about that Jesus is not praying his followers would be. That's the low engagement, low assimilation box. And we're going to call that isolated. Low engagement, low assimilation. So not of the world, but not in the world either. And we'll say that's the isolated box. The isolated box. Committed to God, but have lost the mission. I think this was Jesus' great frustration with the religious people of his day. They were very committed to God, but unable to love anyone else. And I think Jesus was frustrated that even their love for God was being lost because they could not live out the commandments that God had given to love others. 
This is the so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. They're so focused on the things of God that you or on God or on theology or on the things around God that we have lost focus on the mission that God has called us to. It would be, you know, at Mount Hope we talk about learn, love, live. This would be if you stopped at that first word. I just want to learn. I just want to learn. But we don't stop at that first word. We are here to gather to learn so that we may grow in our love for God and for others so that we may live a faith, life of faith out in the world because that's where God has sent us to. But there are some people that will stop at the learn word and this is the isolated quadrant and Jesus did not pray for this. Jesus did not pray. In fact, he said very specifically, Father, I do not pray that you will take them out of the world. I'm not praying that they would be isolated. I'm not praying that you remove them. In fact, Jesus said, I have sent them into the world just as you have sent me into the world. Going back to Jesus' words in chapter 5 of Matthew on his Sermon on the Mount, he says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in all the house. In other words, Jesus says, no one lights a light and puts a basket over it. That's the isolated Christian. The isolated Christian is like lighting a light, putting it under a basket. It's lit, but it's not helpful. It's lit, but all it is is consuming energy. It's not accomplishing the purpose that it's supposed to accomplish. It's not helpful. This is not the Christian, the way that Jesus is praying for his followers. Everywhere in Scripture, the incarnation itself tells us that God believes that proximity is necessary for influence. From the very beginning of God's creation in the Garden of Eden, as God walked with Adam and Eve, through every other instance that we have God revealing himself, when he met with Abraham, when he met with Moses, when he spoke to the prophets, and ultimately in the incarnation, when God the Son himself came down, lived and walked among us in the incarnation, what we see is God coming to us into our world, invading our space, because without proximity, there's no influence. And God believes that in order to have influence, there needs to be proximity. And so Jesus says, just as I have left heaven and been sent into the world, I send them into the world. Because you've got to have proximity to have influence. God has showed us that. This is like, uh, the isolated one is like having all the great ingredients for a recipe, but just leaving them in the bowls on the counter. It's like keeping the salt in the salt shaker. It doesn't, doesn't do any good if the salt stays in the salt shaker. It needs to get out to be a benefit to the world. And if you're in this quadrant, the question that I think that we need to be, you need to be asking in the isolated quadrant is, why am I here? Why is it that as soon as you accepted Christ and as soon as you became a Christian, why isn't it at that moment that you enter heaven? You're caught up, leave the earth, enter God's presence, because that's where you're going to be for eternity anyway. Isn't that the goal of all this? So why isn't it the moment I accept Jesus, choose to follow him, that I'm caught up and taken into his presence? Because God has a mission and a purpose for me and for you. And so if you find yourself in the isolated quadrant, the question is, why am I here? 
And how can I accomplish the purpose that God has called me to while I am here? And the fourth quadrant is the one that Jesus prayed for. And we're going to call that positioned. We're going to call that the positioned quadrant because if you are in this quadrant, you are positioned to be used by God. You are positioned to be used by God in the way that Jesus is praying for. This is the high engagement, low assimilation. So not of the world, but in the world. High engagement, low assimilation. Jesus is telling his disciples there to be holy men separated from the world in order to be of service in the world. Jesus modeled this. We see in the Gospels, he spends time with tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes to the dismay of the religious elite. Jesus was called a drunkard and a friend of sinners, is what he was called when he was walking on the earth. He wasn't called that because he was drunk. It was guilt by association because he was with people who needed Jesus. He said, he said it's the sick who need the doctor. He did not corrupt or in any way lose any of his holiness. He was not of this world. He was not changed. He was not assimilated to, but he was in the world. We are of no help if we are not distinct. The holiness of God calls his people throughout Scripture not simply uh, for their benefit, but for the benefit of others around them. We are of no help if we are not distinct, but if we are not in proximity, those who don't know Jesus, to those who don't know Jesus, our distinction won't help anybody. We're of no help to anyone if we're not distinct from them, but if we are not in proximity to people who don't know Jesus, our distinction helps no one. We're just isolated. Both have to be present. Last week I mentioned James chapter 1 verse 27. We talked about how James just defines religion. He says religion is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Take care of the orphans. Take care of the widows. Take care of those in need. Show the love of Christ in the world around us and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I think that's one of the best examples of being in the world and not of the world. And that's how the Bible defines what pure religion is. Engage in the world. Bring the love of God to the world, but don't become of the world. And this is the life that God calls us to. This is where God calls us. People sometimes look at the Bible, and maybe, um, you know, in the beginning of the year, we always challenge people to read through the Bible, and if you're doing that, maybe you're doing that for the first time, and reading through the entire Bible, and reading through the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and if you've done that, doing that this year, or maybe you can remember in past years when you did that for the first time, sometimes people say, why does God seem so different in the Old Testament than the New Testament sometimes? Perhaps one reason is because in the Old Testament, God is dealing with a people who don't understand his holiness. And God was dealing with a people who wanted to be like and liked by everyone around them. They didn't understand the importance of distinction. They didn't understand the value of being distinct, salt in the culture. And so he speaks to that. We see that coming out. We get to the New Testament, God is speaking to a people who are so distinct, they have isolated themselves completely from the culture around them, and we see this message that God's, that you have to know that God is not only all holy, but he's also all love. 
that God is love. And there's this loving aspect of God that you have completely missed, he says to the religious leaders, because you're living out this life isolated from the world around you that God has called you to love. So God sends his son into this world, incarnated into this world, hangs out with the drunks, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and yet is not corrupted by them in the world and not of them. And the question that goes with this one is, where is my opportunity? Where's my opportunity? If I'm in this positioned place, I'm in the world and not of the world, I need to look around me. Where's my opportunity to make an impact for God? We look at it as a church, and as a church, this is true not only as individuals. We've been talking about this be one, and it's important for us to be one as a church, one together, but also engaging in the community around us. So some places where we do that, you know, uh, in a couple weeks, you know, you've seen the building kind of uh, a little bit apart on Sundays here. There's things all over the place and the hallways look a little bit of a mess because we're getting ready for our school year. And every year around this time, uh, we've got things in the hallways. We're cleaning floors, we're waxing floors, we're cleaning carpets because we're getting ready for 300 students to come back in here and inhabit these hallways during the week. And thank you for putting up with some of the chaos. Thank you for walking around some classes and moving around and all of that 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 takes. But why do we do it? Because our school is one way that we are in the world but not of the world. Because having a a school in our town, in a place in the country, in a place in the world that has an extremely high value on education helps us to speak the language of the culture around us. And so we have a culture around us that highly values education. And so we will have an excellent school that graduates kids from the fifth grade that are way beyond where other kids in the fifth grade are graduating from schools around us We'll have a high value on academics. We will be there, in, engaged in the culture, but we will not be of the world. And so every child that comes in will hear about the God that loves them. We'll hear about the gospel of the God who sent his son to die for them. And if they put their faith and trust in him, they can receive salvation from God. And so our school is a way to be in the world, but not of the world. We have other places and other ways that we'll, we'll do that. Uh, places where we will say, we are not here just for us. We're not here just to keep chairs warm. We're here to engage in the world. There's a ministry that goes out every four to six weeks and serves a meal to the under-resourced at the Salvation Army in Lowell. Serves a meal to 75 people, 100 people. Whoever comes out gives a free meal on Saturdays every four to six weeks. We're part of a larger group that does that. And that's a way that we are engaged in the world. In fact, that group is looking for new help and new leadership. And so if that's you and that's something that you feel called to, uh, maybe that's a door God opens up to you in ministry. But it's a way to be in the world, not of the world. We have um, in uh, our Wednesday night ways to engage our community. Come on out and find Dory uh, with us and watch a movie. And why do we do it? To be a helpful engagement in our community as well. Just a fun way to do that. In Belmont, coming up in September at our Belmont campus, We're having a trivia night coming up in September to benefit the Belmont Food Pantry. And we're inviting the community out to to raise money for the Belmont Food Pantry that night as well. Ways to engage in the world and yet not be of the world. So that's some ways we do it as a church. Where are you doing it in your life? Where are you building meaningful relationships with people who don't know Jesus? 
And you say, well, I'm in the world. Like I shop, I, I go out, I go to the mall. I'm in the world. This has sent you into the world. Maybe. When's the last time you had someone around your table who doesn't know Jesus? Are we engaged in the world and yet not of the world? How often are you building relationships with people who don't know Jesus so that they can know that you love them, so that they can know that you're not just this Christian who gets taken out of the world, but you and I are in the world? Let me summarize these four quadrants this way. Um, I'm going to use this little life ring here. Let me summarize these four quadrants this way. Let's go back to our metaphor of the person drowning and in need of help. So you got the person drowning and in need of help. The enamored person is himself drowning, but he's drowning in another pool. He's drowning in a pool away from our friend that's drowning and in need of help. So he can be of no help to our drowning friend and our drowning victim. The absorbed person, as I said, is the person that can't swim, doesn't have any life-saving device, and they just jump in the pool with the drowning person. And the drowning person may say to him, I'm drowning, can you help me? And you say, no, but isn't it great to be in here together? It's the absorbed person, not distinct, not distinct, just of and in the same situation. The isolated person knows how to swim, has a life-saving device, but has locked themselves in a room in another building where they cannot hear the cries of the person who's drowning. The positioned person is the person who knows how to swim, has a life-saving device, and is able to throw it out to the person who needs help because they are in, engaged in the situation, but not of the same mindset in the same situation. And Jesus is saying that if we are going to be of any help, we have got to be in and not of. And so which are you? I want you to take a moment, if you've been taking notes with me, I want you to take a moment and look at those quadrants. Think of it as an x-axis and a y-axis. And I want you to put a mark of where you think you are right now. Where do you think you are on the assimilation scale? Highly assimilated? Low on assimilation? Where do you think you are on the engagement scale? Are you in the world? Are you engaged? Are you building relationships with people who don't know Jesus? Are you making a difference? Where would you put your mark in there? Because in the end, it's about impact. Those of us who follow Jesus are to impact the world around us. We're not stuck in this big bad world. Jesus sends us into this world for a purpose. He has sent you to your place. He has sent you into the world that we might make an impact. And impact requires engagement. Impact requires engagement in the world. The question is, are you being more influenced by the word or the world? Are you being more influenced by the word or the world? For many of us, many Christians live enamored with the world, 
absorbed into the world or isolated from the world, but sometimes ignore the reality that God has positioned you in a particular place in order to make an impact for Jesus. You are not in your neighborhood because that's where you happen to buy a house or rent an apartment. You are not in your job because they happen to hire you. You are not in your school because that's where you happen to go to school. You are there because God sent you there. You are there because God positioned you in a particular place around particular people at a particular time to be salt and light and distinct and to bring hope into the place where God has you right now. You are positioned to make a difference for God. The only question is, will you? Are you more influenced by the word or the world? Another quote by Oz Guinness uh, in his book, Impossible People. He says, for a generation now, the air has been thick with talk of changing the world, but who is changing whom? Unquestionably, the world would like to change the church, but does the church still want to change the world? Who is changing whom? Jesus called us to be in and not of, to be distinct even as we are in the world. Impact requires engagement in the world. Impact requires that we would be engaged in the world without assimilation into the world. Too little engagement or too much assimilation and we will lose our impact. It calls us to both. Too little engagement or too much assimilation and you lose your impact. He calls us to both. So where are you? Where are you, Christian, when it comes to being in and not of the world? Are you in the world so much that you've become, started to become a part of it? Are you not so not in the world that you've failed to engage? Where are you and what do we need to pray? I want to close with this prayer this morning. I'm going to ask our music ministry to return. This is, a, a, again, one more, uh, is a prayer that Oz Guinness has at the end of one of his chapters. And I'm going to read it for you. And then, if it's your heart, as it is mine, I would like us, those of you, that it's your heart as well, for us to pray it together after I read it to you. So let me read it to you. Consider, if after hearing this message, this word, that this may be your response to God's word as well. Lord Jesus Christ, great Son of God and Lord of all, the entire universe sprang into being at your word, and even death could not hold you down. Forgive our sorry state of worldliness and captivity. Grant that wherever we are shaped by the world rather than your word, we may be helped to recognize it, and we may be given your power to be freed from it. Grant, too, that in rising to live as you have called us to live, we may show the world a new and different way of life that once again will free the captives and demonstrate a human way of life that is worthy of you, the author of life and humanity. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. And if that is your prayer as well, I want us to pray this together. I know it's long and it's going to be a little clumsy. But we'll pray it together, not because we're going to sound great, but because it's our heart as a church. And then after we pray this, I'm going to pray, 
and there'll be uh, leaders up here that will pray for you if you want prayer. We're going to sing a couple more songs of worship, and you can come to these altars and pray because maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I am too much of the world, and today I need God. I need to repent of that. I need God to help me to be distinct and live a life for him, not of the world. Or maybe you would say, I have been too isolated. I am not engaged in enough. And I, God, I need you to help me to engage more in the world where you have sent me. Let's pray this prayer. Those of you that this is your heart, would you pray it with me? Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of all, the entire universe sprang into being at your word and even death could not hold you down. Forgive our sorry state of worldliness and captivity. Grant that wherever we are shaped by the world, rather than your word, we may be helped to recognize it, and we may be given your power to be freed from it. Grant, too, that in rising to live as you have called us to live, we may show the world a new and different way of life that once again will free the captives and demonstrate a human way of life that is worthy of you, the author of life and humanity, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Lord, would you lead us now as we respond to your word? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us to respond well? In Jesus' name, amen.